no sleeter virus can hold us back. It's the SOC, the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell, back in your ear hole, injecting you with that one and only performance enhancing audio. BC, the voice that you hear, believe it, it's mixed martial arts time, folks. Yes, we are right in the middle of the pandemic outbreak known as COVID-19. Uh, we'll be a little serious. We'll be a little silly, as always, on the SOC, but certainly best wishes out to all of you listening. Uh, we don't know. We don't know if there's going to be fights this week, if there's going to be fights next month, if there's going to be fights this year. But the SOC will will keep bringing you something. It may just be Brandon Wise and I arguing on a loop, but you're going to get something from us. So why don't I welcome in this man? Yes, he is my colleague at CBS Sports, a newfound Connecticut resident. And don't forget, a former All-State left tackle for the 5A class state champion North Boca High Buccaneers. It's Brandon Wise. Wise man, how are you holding up during these admittedly difficult times? Now you're adding even more incorrect facts to the to your intro for me. This is this is even better. Um, as the great Randy Quaid said in Independence Day, which we're going to talk about later, that you still haven't watched, by the way. And you can't make me. If it's about aliens, I'm not really into it, right? Unless it's Star Wars, okay? Well, he said as he's going off to fight the aliens at towards the end of the movie, I picked a hell of a day to quit drinking because this is a weird time to be alive. Yes. And I, I, I don't know how else to put it besides this is scary if you watch the news too much. This is weird if you're going out and trying to buy stuff right now. It's it's just a weird time. It is. Uh, I mentioned that on this week's Morning Combat with Luke Thomas. This is my first global pandemic, Brandon, so I'm not sure what to expect <laughs> here. Uh, in There's full no playbook honesty. here. If, no, if, no, exactly. There isn't. And obviously, depending on where you live uh, in the States or abroad, you are you could be undergoing much different circumstances. You know, I'm, I'm in suburban Connecticut. Things aren't too bad here. But obviously, in the coming hours or days, it feels like uh, the shutdown is coming. And, you know, we just want everybody to – I mean, look, there's a, when people say things like – don't panic, but be precautious. I feel like you got to be both at the same time. You can't just be like, all right, I'm not going to panic. And then, you know, you go to the gym and then you go go to your jujitsu practice and then go to the bar. Like, that's not that's not um, the right way, Brandon. OK, you know what I'm saying? You know what I did with my neighbors yesterday? We have a fence separating our yard. They came over with some beers and some wine. We stood on opposite sides of the fence and just kicked it for a while. That's proper social distancing, Brandon. About five, six feet apart, a fence separating our potential uh, handoff. Um, no, but in all seriousness, please be smart out there. Please, please, okay? Uh, let me let me uh, dip a little bit into the boxing soundboard and give you life advice from former heavyweight champion Vladimir Klitschko, okay? If I can find it. Are we here? Be different or die. Please don't please die. Please don't but die. Be different. Why different? Because... If you're different, you're special. Thank you, Vlad. The key part of that was please don't die, okay? So please keep it together. And, uh, yeah, Brandon, it's so it's so wild. I mean, just regular life, unknown. Obviously, a mixed martial arts fan. We'll get into that more here. I mean, good God, it's wild right now what Dana White and company are ambitiously, if not ignorantly, trying to pull off. But uh, we do have a show for you today. We got a full recap of UFC Brasilia. We got a full debate speculation about what the future in uh, UFC and MMA could and should be as we navigate this uh, this uh, uncertain world. We also got an interview this week. Hey, I, I, I did this did take place late last week, but um, actor, mixed martial arts expert Rich Ting drops by the show. If you don't know that name, 
you will soon. He was a guest star on last week's episode of Tommy on CBS. Hey, Brandon, you in on this new drama, Tommy, with Edie Falco of uh, Sopranos fame becoming the first female police chief in L.A.? You down with this? I've heard, I've heard of it. I haven't really watched it yet, but Eddie, Edie, is it Edie or Eddie? It's Edie. Okay, get it right. Edie, Edie Falco, I mean, she's really good. She Wasn't she Nurse Jackie as well? Yeah, she's had a very decorated career beyond the Sopranos. And uh, have you ever checked out our boy Rich Ting's uh, probably most famous role on that Cinemax show Warriors? set in San Francisco in the late 1800s, written by Bruce Lee. He's going to get into sort of the origin story on how Bruce Lee died many decades ago, yet had that project sitting on the shelf that he's a part of. But he plays a role, Brandone, modeled after Bolo Young, who, of course, you know, was a big star in Bloodsport. In fact, his character's name is Bolo. You a big Bolo fan? I don't know what that means, but sure. Yeah, the Chinese dude with the giant pecs in Bloodsport. All right, the bad guy. Come on. I haven't seen Bloodsport before. Oh, Guy God. who criticizes my movie taste. Wow. wow. This is going to become a movie podcast. For the I think every movie. podcast. You haven't realized it yet. I've been deep diving on war films to try to prove to Luke Thomas and everyone else that 1917 is the best film that's ever happened. Have you caught that yet? I have not watched that in 1917 right. I yet. I can't wait to hear from you on that one. Okay, no more no, dismissing no, no, no. it. No more. We're going to talk about Uncut Gems today. That's what oh, we're going to Oh, yeah. Talk bring about. that ish, right? No more No more missing out on the greatest films of all time. No more dick pills, right? <laughs> no more dick pills as well. Uh, do you think, um, as this outbreak happens, that an outbreak of births will take place while everyone is, is home reuniting with their families? Brandon. I, I mean, I did. I did joke about it that we're about to have, like, the baby boomer era part two, but... Yeah, I mean, on like a more serious note, I have a, a sister-in-law who's supposed to give birth in April, and we have no idea how that's going to work now with the hospitals and how they're going to be overcrowded. It, it's a lot, man. Well, dude, I want to be fully upfront about a lot of things about this unknown. I mean, my son right now, who's had past uh, health issues, you know, is sneezing and coughing, and you, and of course you're you're hit with that instant panic. It, it's it's very uncertain now. Um, I don't want to uh, be that guy in the street corner. You know, bringing on the end of the world, but uh, hopefully, you know, hospitals don't get overrun. Um, it's also a mental health challenge, Brandon. When things are just full on ish and chaotic, I can lose my mind sometimes. Like when a hurricane's coming, my wife, like she loves weather, right? So like if a if a massive tornado or hurricane comes, she'll turn on the weather channel and get all fired up, you know, because like there's this power coming to the earth. That power scares me, Brandon. I got those type of feels right now where I got to stay away from Twitter. I got to stop following Luke Thomas for a while because he's too <laughs> he's too clued in and making enemies on their good faith enemy. As he likes to remind me, stop thinking I'm a villain. It's good faith. I'm sure he's doing good faith, but it stresses me the heck out, Brandon. And you do have to really, you know, especially if you're a uh, – a leader of a family, right, or a leader of men in any form and woman, you got to keep your head straight during this, Brandon, all right? Even if it gets crazy, you got to keep your head straight, okay? I hope you're taking those precautions, whether that means buying a few extra six-packs or, you know, doing some sit-ups to kind of clear your mind, all right? I got the heavy bag at the right time, man. It, I'm not going. I'm not going to my classes for a while. I'll be hitting that heavy bag downstairs in this basement for a long time. Absolutely. Don't forget what Freddie Roach said about the bag. You have a little bit of fun with the bag. You play with it. You win combinations on the bag. Play with the bag a little bit, Brandon. It never hurt anyone. Okay. I do got a speed bag now too. 
All right. All right. I like that. I like that indeed. Okay. So, yeah, we do actually have a show to you. Shout out to Rich Ting. We'll be on later. And as we mentioned, Brandon, the show doesn't stop here on the SOC and beyond on CBS Sports. Are you looking to, I don't know, Brand, fill the sports void right now? Did you just call me Brand? Yeah. Is that is that, that never happened before in your life? That's never been. That, that is not a, a shortening of Brandon I've ever heard. All right. But all continue, right. sir. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, Brandon. Let me remind you that sports may not be happening on the field or in the ring, but NFL free agency is still happening right now, Brand. And the Pick 6 NFL podcast on CBS Sports has you covered with reactions and analysis to all the biggest moves I don't know if you've ever listened to this vehicle. Have you, Brandon, the pick six pod? Occasionally. Okay, well, let me remind you that it's always daily. But this week, there'll be much more than daily. Wow, wow, how about that? Will Brinson and company will recap each day of free agency and also provide emergency pods when the biggest names in football, yes, Tom Brady, I'm talking about you, make their future decision. Brandon, is he going to take his talents to Vegas? What's going on here? Download... And hold on, I got a burp. Okay. Download and subscribe <laughs> to the Pick Six podcast wherever you find fine audio. And please tell him BC sent you. Brandon, who's this Will Brinson guy? You woke on this fellow? Oh my God. We're having such a professional show today. <laughs> Will Brinson is a very smart man who's very opinionated, loves to, to troll some people on the Twitter every now and then, but uh, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to NFL free agency. All right. Where's Tom Brady going, Brandon? Can you speculate a little here? Hopefully he's going to wherever the elite go right now to avoid the virus. <laughs> he's going underground with the mole people. Um, I don't know. I feel like he's just going to stay in New England. I don't know why he would go anywhere else. He just reportedly bought a house in Greenwich, Connecticut, I think, for like, you know, $4 trillion. And he, and he sold his house in Boston. I don't think any of this means anything. Dana had that FaceTime with him that went public, right? Where he was like, <laughs> I, he, was ba- he was basically like, thank you for joining us, man. Yeah. I love you. You know, and and Tom, Tom was Tom was saying no, 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 and Dana said yeah, 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 yeah. I love you. <laughs> hey, remember that time Anderson Silva tried to get in the middle of my marriage? <laughs> all yeah. right, hey, this is an S show already. Um, yeah, Brandon. So listen to that pod. Um, look, I mean, in all honesty, we just don't know. We just don't know, Brandon. If on the best case scenario. The games and the, I want to say the fights, but it looks like the fights are still fighting to go on this week. We we really don't know from a team sports standpoint, is it just, hey, take two months off, everybody chill out, everybody stay home, let's close down the restaurants and bars and gyms and and chill, or are we looking toward unprecedented times? I mean, is this going to be, Brandon, a a drop the pin in history, like, right? You know, like our grandparents lived through, you know, World War II, the older ones, the Depression, grew up in that. Um, Hopefully the economy, Brandon doesn't, you know, go down like Bizping via head via, via uh, H-bomb against Dan Hendo, right? I mean, you know, good God. Silver front kick to the face. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. But it, until then, um, let's bang, right? I mean, yeah, let's, we're not let's talk about the weird ish that happened this weekend in Brasilia. All right, we will do that, Brandon. After we take a quick pause for the cause, yes. And hear a word from our friends and sponsors. Yeah, <laughs> dig it. Yeah, we're back. BC, B-dubs, UFC Brasilia breakdown on the way. Actor, martial arts expert Rich Ting coming up as well in the future. 
interesting show today, Brandon, because we just don't know what the heck is going on. But before we break down the legitimate mixed martial arts news, you know, comings and goings, wins and losses out of UFC Brasilia, can we just take a snapshot of this crazy weekend, which for right or wrong, and you certainly can make strong arguments, pretty much everything got canceled this weekend except for a random showbox card on Showtime in Hinkley, Minnesota in boxing and UFC Brasilia in an empty arena, both in an empty arena, by the way. Um, look, there's a lot you can get into about Dana White's ambitious, if not, like I said, reckless plans. Why the heck? This is, this is, this is my key question here, Brandon. I mean, look, we could spend the next five to ten minutes just being like, what the hell is Dana doing? And I kind of want to do that. But I'm more important interested in the why. Brandon, why... During a time when every nation and state is basically like no public gatherings, no anything, right? No no athletics, no anything in which we're exchanging fluids and sweat. Is Dana White just straight up being like, uh, we don't care, we'll find a way? Why, dude? Why? I have no idea, man. And I feel like this just goes back to like he has – a single conversation with the president, allegedly, by the way, we don't actually know that he talked to the president and vice president. He's just kind of spin. Oh, how that. dare you? He's got it. He's got the he's he's got an ear. He's got the bat phone. Come on, dude. Have you seen him show up at all those rallies? I mean, you know, we're talking about a, a WWE Hall of Famer here in our president. He's got he's got the hook on that. All right. He's got holler if you hear me. I just I don't know. It's he gets the go ahead to like try and continue doing what he needs to do. But then the next day, the president's like praising all the other leagues for saying no events. No, just relax. Stay home for a while. We'll figure this out. I don't know, man. Bob Aram's doing the same thing, though. Like no, Bob Aram realized he missed out on money this weekend. But he's also like, oh, yeah, we're going to try to do it. And no, And John, John, uh, John Real Casimero. Thank you. They're going to try to do that in a studio. Like, how? Well, where, though? Because, you know, we all know Dana's plans for the for for the fight night cards in Portland and Columbus and, and maybe even UFC 249 in Brooklyn was to bring everybody to the Apex Center in Vegas and then the state of Nevada, which <laughs> shocks me, right? This is the same state that was like, hey, Floyd, we know you're going to jail in 2012 against Miguel Cotto, but let's delay that jail sentence a month so we can get the money off you in between. They're like, no, you ain't doing combat sports until we meet again on March 25th and probably extend the deadline further. So I don't know. We saw actual responsible decisions this weekend. Bob Aaron being like, uh, if they can't test for Corona, my fighters not fighting at MSG. And Scott Coker had a Bellator 241 on Friday hours before that card in Connecticut was like, yeah, we're, we're stopping this and we're paying everybody. That I mean, you want to talk about a, a hero that we needed, Brandon? That was sort of uh, the exact opposite of what UFC is doing here. Yeah, and I feel I I mean, at some point, do you think that might be what's at play here? Is that Dana need knows he needs to pay these guys that are scheduled to fight, and the fact that the UFC, after years of us crying for them to take put on less events, is now going to have to pay people, or in theory, would have to pay people that are supposed to fight for the next month. Like that's a lot of dudes that you got to write checks to that aren't producing any content for you. Brandon, the answer in any debate involved in, in combat sports is always money, right? Money is always the root of the evil of why 
why everything? Why is there always sort of uh, constantly corrupt things going on? Why is why in general are we putting on these sports that health wise, brain wise don't make a lot of sense? I mean, everything is rooted to money. I have to believe in the long run. Dana's not a hero. This is not a heroic. Let's you know. I mean, this is what WWE and Vince McMahon, by the way, are trying to do right now, right? Trying to put on these empty arena shows and be like, WWE is always there for you, right? We'll we'll give you some entertainment during hard times. Like Dana's not doing that to try to be a hero. He's not doing that because he just loves fights so much. It's got to be financially related. And I think if you look at some of the whispers you're seeing on Twitter. And look, rightfully, you got to point a finger. Well, you got to point a finger at ESPN. We can get to that in a second. But rightfully, you got to point a finger at Endeavor, the parent company of UFC. And then you start looking at the timelines, Twitter timelines of people like John Nash, who are knee deep in the financial coverage of MMA. And they're like, hey, by the way, Endeavor's other big brand, the PBR, the Professional Bull Riders Association, they're also branded not taking a hiatus right now and still trying to put out content. So is it the debt? That Endeavor had to take on in, in purchasing the UFC in 2016 for such an absurd price. And the fact that UFC and Endeavor just paid out that giant sum to all their celebrity investors. Does this really come down to, to straight up the bottom line of like, we can't afford to take cart to just fold up shop right now? I mean, look, the reason why they're still going is obviously related to a lack of a union in, in MMA. I mean, why did uh, that jazz Utah Jazz NBA game? stop with a full crowd in attendance waiting for it to start they're like no 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 it's over because we've got a union there right they're just sort of like rudy gobert's got it let's not pass it around it's over we're going on hiatus you can't do that in mma until these brothers band together and finally take a stand so while ufc still has that control it's got to be all money related well, two things though. The ga- the game in in Oklahoma City was stopped because doctors were like, "Hey, we just got his results back and Rudy tested positive. We we really need to get everybody out of this arena." I don't think that was that was uh that wasn't union related. That was like doctors going, "Hey, get these people away from each other. This is a bad idea right now." And then you get the announcement. I think it was either that night or the next day. That was like no, 5 wait, minutes that, later, bro. It was like the, it was like a, it was in that, that the season that the season was suspended. Yes, yeah, same night okay. within an hour time. And look, that's union. You know that's union related. Why are we not pushing in the team sports to keep things going? I mean, that's okay, but so here was my other thing is that I I admittedly am weak when it comes to economics and financial stuff here. I get what you're saying that this might be finance related, but didn't these dudes just make like a bank off of Conor McGregor in January? Like, didn't they just get like a pay-per-view record for ESPN plus that night? And we're coming off of two pay-per-views that probably performed better than they thought with John Jones and then Israel Adesanya. And Dana said last year was their best year financially because of the ESPN deal ever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I don't don't know. To me, this is just like, everybody's shutting down right now. There's going to be no money to be made. Like, Unless they have a void somewhere in their contract where UFC doesn't get paid out unless they have shows, I don't, I don't know why we're doing this. Well, we do have – we did acquire uh, sound from Dana's call to President Trump debating this, this. If you lose, I get to shave your head. Oh, oh wow. That's, that doesn't make a lot of sense right there, Brandon. Um, look, the reason why this is still going on, uh, uh, because Dana's the boss. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. It's my way and no other way. End of- 
end of story. But um, it just it's it's so reckless, and in a sport again that you can argue is already so reckless, going out there kicking each other in the head with uh, contracted employees who are criminally underpaid for the danger that they take on to then put them in a spot where, yes, I know Dana's going on SportsCenter and going, but they wanted to. You don't understand. We gave the fighters the option. They want to fight. Well, two things here, Brandon. One, financially, you would assume they they have to. They're not getting paid otherwise. And two, that's the mindset. Professional fighters, uh, it, look, they got a mindset almost of like a soldier. This is what they're wired to do. You're going to find a lot of company men. I'm sure you saw that tweet that Ariel Hawani of ESPN put out, which was a copy of the email that's being sent out to all the managers right now, right? This UFC London card this Saturday can't go on in London. Leon Edwards, smartfully and rightfully so, was like, no, I'm not going to fly to the States for a card that has an unknown location with an unknown future of whether I'll be able to fly back to my own home country. And yet Dana's still going on here searching for people that are in the UFC or not just to fill out this card. Brandon, when you get reckless like that, the mindset of a fighter in a lot of ways is to say, yeah, I'm already taking a life gamble in this profession. I'll be a company man. Where do I sign up? I'll fight tomorrow. It's almost like Dana's preying on the built-in advantage that he has over these fighters over the lack of, of organization of a union, the lack of competitive pay. And just being like, hey, a full call out to all future company men. You want to come and save us? Let's go do this. Um, somebody's got to step in here. This, uh, and look, and this is not me like trying to be some zealot. I'm far from that, okay? I want to see good fights right now. It'd be great to be entertained. It'd be great for you and I who make money in this business when people do fight if we had something to talk about. But good Lord, there's no common sense in this, Brandon. If you're telling me that they could put the fights on at the Apex and that the state of Nevada supported it, in the end, I would have to go, okay, look, it's their decision. Yeah, there's a danger for these fighters to finish training camps, to fly to Vegas, but you got the PI there. They can kind of self-quarantine a bunch of fighters if they wanted to. Brandon, the state of Nevada saying no, and Dana's still like, don't worry, we'll find a spot. W what spot? Uh, 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 you know, an empty mountaintop in, in, in Montana? Like, what's the spot that they're going to find to put this crap on? Why, Brandon, at the end of the day, is Dana so one-dimensionally lustfully being like nothing's going to stop us it's got to be the fear of money unless he's just insane don't answer that you already know he's insane but like brandon this is really like when there's a member of your family who's just being crazy you gotta you gotta I'll be honest here dana's in our family we cover mma he's being crazy brandon okay we gotta we gotta intervene here i i love that you made the Boston guy have just like a hick country accent in the middle of that. That was fantastic, Brian. Um, I, you know what though? You actually brought up an interesting spot. Just send these fools out to Montana. We don't need a cage. We don't need nothing. Just let them fight. <laughs> just put a, just set up a camcorder, leave it there, and let these dudes fight. I mean, like, I, mean you saw Colby. I feel like that's what we're getting close to though. Like just unsanctioned ish because nobody's going to sanction these guys in the next month. So we're going to be on some Native American reservation in New Mexico pretty soon and just uh, no rules. We'll, 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 we'll set up a circle. We'll put a circle on the ground and just you draw know. it in the ground. Yeah. I mean, seriously, though, like he's going to be putting on unsanctioned fights. And if you have unsanctioned fights, how do you pay the fighters? Because 
it all has to go through a sanctioning body for you to get the money out, I, I think. Again, I don't know anything about the economics of how all of this works. I'm just speculating. But that's what it feels like Dana's going to do because he just feels like this has to happen in some capacity and he doesn't mind putting people at risk. And it's scary to think that these are the people that are in charge of billion-dollar companies. So I mean, look, look and, <laughs> again, MMA was always fight sports is always sort of the the circus, the carnival of competitive sports. This is a new level and a new layer. And while you know, when you see Colby Covington going on Twitter and ripping Leon Edwards for pulling out and saying, "I'll fight Woodley tomorrow," and Woodley's like, "Yeah, man, on Twitter, let's do this." Look, if they can pull that off, would would that feel? to a degree like an oasis in the desert where there's no sports? Yeah, I guess. But, Brandon, I also want to make a point. This ain't 1988 or 1998 where, like, you only have a set amount of channels where, like, if the UFC is the only game in town, they might get 25 million people tuning in on ESPN. No, you're not, Brandon, okay? Do you know who's going to dominate right now? ESPN Plus, Netflix, Prime, because everybody's just sitting home and will be sitting home for a while. I don't feel like... UFC fights are going to trump all of that just because they're the only live sport at the moment. Uh, no pun intended with Trump there. But, uh, it, man, man, this is just wet. Brandon, this is Twilight Zone stuff. Yeah. I, it, it, again, we said it at the start of the show. Like, it's uncharted territory for everybody. There's no playbook here. It's just like, at some point, you gotta you got to put it down and be like, dude, like let let's give it a minute. Yeah. Like hey, so, Dana. like Dana. at some point, seriously though, at some point, doesn't like Jimmy Pataro, the president of ESPN, have to call Dana and be like, "Hey, man, like let, let's calm down. We're shutting down Sports Center right now. You don't need to have fights." All right, so that's the next topic. That's the perfect segue here, Brandon. Uh, look, it is what it is, right? Media that have you know a stake in certain leagues. They have to temper their coverage to a certain degree. But, Brandon, in a time when everyone's going after Dana on Twitter, you know, we, we haven't seen any of our brethren over there at ESPN, you know, who have some of the biggest names in MMA journalism, uh, making any kind of reaction toward this decision-making. So I think, you know, we're recording this on Monday morning. I, I'm very interested to see the live programming that ESPN does do this week, and I know they're shutting down a lot of it. They're shutting down Washington, D.C. studios, which is like PTI around the horn. Uh, whatever they are doing for live analysis, whether it's Stephen A. Smith, whether it's Ariel Hawani or whatever, it's going to be very interesting the tone that they take in terms of <laughs> how they are going to respond to Dana White's sort of uh, you know uncharted recklessness. Because, Brandon, if the NCAA tournament, which is a CBS body property, was the only thing going on at a reckless nature, um, you know, the reality of where we are in 2020 with, with rights holders and all that, you know, there would be corporate discussions of what we should or shouldn't say or could or couldn't say. And, you know, and we'd have to make that decision as journalists mixed with your your <laughs> what you owe to your company and what, what is expected. Um, if we don't hear anything from the MMA guys this week, that's a bad precedent. And look, ESPN has NFL rights, but they still take shots at the NFL when it's needed. I'm going to have to see somebody there in Bristol be like, what the hell are we doing? Yeah, that's – I don't know what we're going to do with that because it's just such a – again, there's no playbook here. Somebody needs to – somebody does need to be the one to say, hey, what the hell? 
from ESPN on this, but I don't know, man. It's it's to the point where because there's probably there's not going to be a, a first take today, right? That's that's what you said. Uh, I know they're shutting down DC. I don't know if they're shutting down the New York studio, which does get up first take and uh, whatever else they do there. I know they're. Well, I mean, they're shutting I mean, down it, the overnight sports center, right? I mean, they're they're going to a a, a much smaller package, if you will. Brandon, you can laugh. You can laugh while things are falling <laughs> apart. It's burning around you. You can still laugh, okay? I mean, just to, to note on our own brand, like the CBS Broadcast Center in New York had two people either test positive or come into contact with somebody that tested positive, and they've shut down that office for two weeks. So we have our own stuff that we're dealing with. It's – I don't know. I, I mean, I'm with you that they do need to be able to rip Dana White for what's going on. But I don't know if they're going to have the opportunity because I don't know if they're going to have studio shows to do this or not. Uh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. We also did acquire Dana, uh, audio of Dana talking to the fighters that were scheduled for UFC London this week that were not interested in fighting. You guys want to go back and be a f***ing bartender, a uh, short-order cook, a f***ing scientist? If that's what you really want to be, then go for it. Uh, Dana, just to clue you in, there will be no bars that will be allowed to be open pretty soon. Or labs for scientists. Okay, Brandon, that's the reality of where we are here. Wow, wow, wow. Why don't we transition into some actual... Could be for the last time, Brandon. We don't know. Bellator was already scheduled to take a two-month break. Just It was just a built-in gap in their schedule. UFC Bellator 241 not happening. They go on hiatus. As we talked about, UFC still planning to replace this weekend's London card. Still planning to... I mean, they're not stopping with the Tony Habib rollout, Brandon, in terms of the marketing. Dana saying it's got to and will happen somewhere. Brandon, I really don't want, and this ties into our Brasilia breakdown because this was our first real card of this level with no audience. And that lack of uh, crowd feel, energy, energy was imminent there. Um, I want to see Tony, this cursed fight, Tony Habib 5 finally happen, Tony Habib 6, whatever the, the iteration will be. I cannot have it in a studio or in uh, in Dana's office with that machine gun with the cocaine in it. I need it in where it, where it belongs, all right? I need to be there. Selfishly, from a journalistic and personal standpoint, can we wait till the ish clears and not force that right now? Because while Brasilia, uh, you know, still gave us what looked like real MMA, there was just this off feel about the whole thing. I feel I feel like the the card was trying to tell us through the TV screen it's time to stop. Dude, like I was joking with you because I was just so mad that I had to sit through six hours of that show. But to go through eight straight fights that all go to decision, nobody looked good. Nobody looked like un unbelievably impressive in those first eight fights on the card. I was just like, what are we doing here? These guys are clearly not focused as as focused as they need to be to be fighting each other right now, and and it shows. Like, there was just nothing good besides maybe like Amanda uh, Amanda Rivas, Hebus. who by the way, yeah, they say Hebas. Hebas, yes. Whatever. I say um, sneaky hot, Brandon. <laughs> I know you do. Um, she dominated, but outside of that, it was just like, why are we here? Like, why are we forcing this? Well, I want to give you my final sort of cry, whine about this situation. But imagine if you're a UFC fighter on Saturday for Brasilia, right? 
you're getting maybe maybe you need that money. Maybe to you it's like, look, this could be my last paycheck for a while. I'm going to take it. But what if you say to yourself, what if I get in a war? What if I need to be hospitalized for a while? And with all this ish going on, of course it's got to affect, you know, I'm flying to Brazil not knowing if maybe if I can get back. Of course it's got to affect you. I mean, that's partially why Charles Oliveira afterwards was not upset that Kevin Lee missed weight by two and a half pounds. He basically was like, look, this is a crazy circumstance. But, you know, everything you just said there was right. The mindsets were way off. And to hear the broadcast team kind of pretend like this is normal, <laughs> like like this is how we do it normally, and to see, like, you know, ring card girl, you know, octagon girls, like, come on, like, just stop. But, Brandon, let's put that aside for a second and try to focus on the silo of what we saw. Yes, Amanda Hebus looked great. I do think and have thought that she's going to be an interesting player in an already crowded women's strawweight division that always delivers Beats Randa Marcos, look great beating Mackenzie Dern, is starting to show you that she's going to be something. But at the top of the pops, I've been holding that sign that says future UFC champion Kevin Lee. And this was not a great weekend to hold that sign, Brandon. I'm going to have to take that element up to sit on that cactus. Uh, he looked good in some moments. He looked pretty much not right overall. Charles Oliveira wins his seventh straight. We'll get to that for a second. But I was most deterred, certainly by Kevin Lee missing weight that badly, which is a a a, a continuing uh, it's a pattern in his career. But just a lack of head movement, Brandon. The guy is just open for big shots, and you know I like some things in his jujitsu defense. I like some things in his takedowns. I certainly thought he landed some big right hands, but he fell off. And to hear him afterwards, Brando, be like. I don't know what to do. You may not see me for a few years. For a guy who's in his prime at 27, who seemingly has a completely well-rounded game, maybe save for certain intangibles that make you a champion, that's concerning to me to hear him say that, Brandon. And in some ways, I don't blame him for saying that because I was driving the Kevin Lee hype train and them wheels are, are busted. They're flat, okay? Flat tire, city. It's skeptic season, Brandon. I don't know where this guy goes from here. I don't know if he can be a elite welterweight. I don't know if he can make lightweight anymore. I don't know anything anymore about Kevin Lee. I listen, man. I tried to give you a warning on Kevin Lee. I don't know why you and Rashad Evans, our our lovely co-host, who's not going to be joining us now, and I don't know when he's going to be back. <laughs> um, I don't know why you guys have been on this hype train for so long. I, I've never truly saw it. I see flashes of brilliance, which are great, but I've never truly seen like elite level focus, elite level. Um, I don't know. I've just never seen him as an elite in in any division. And the weight cut on Friday was awful for him to miss the weigh-in window, but then try to show up at the like two minutes later and then just be so far two and a half over. It's just like, come on, man. Like you clearly aren't focused, even though he did give an interview with Brett Akimoto right out, right, right after this, like Corona stuff got really bad where he was like, I want, I don't, I just want to fight for everybody to put on a show for the fans, blah, blah, blah. Like trying to be the, the tough guy. And then this happens, you know, the, the Gregor Gillespie fight was great. And for us, the hobby credit to him for getting his, his, his focus together. I am not sure. I think he went back to his old training camp for this fight. I don't know if he was at TriStar for this one. I, I'm just speculating on that. I'm not exactly sure. But if he did go back to his old camp after having that great success with 
TriStar, like, doesn't that tell you something about the dude who just thinks he can do it himself? Well, I can't figure out, Brandon, if this is the final warning sign in the roller coaster of Kevin Lee's career or if this is just a, hey, dude, it's coronavirus season. Like, this was a wild, you know, turn of events mixed with Charles Oliveira has figured it out. More on him to come. Um, I can't figure out whether I should get off the train completely as much as it feels like I should. But... Man, the flashes of brilliance are there. I don't see how you don't see them. I don't see how they don't elicit uh, feels from you that this guy can and will do it, even in this crowded ass lightweight division. But but I said, but it's what I said though. I said we've seen flashes of brilliance, but I've never seen him be elite. When have you seen him be elite? Whenever he faces tougher competition. It tends to be a fold-up situation. Um, did you see the Gregor Gillespie fight and one of the greatest? Okay, Gregor Gillespie history? is an elite competition now to you. What happened against Tony? Wow, wow. Okay, saying. okay, Brandon, I deserve this. Keep it coming. All right, I'll take it. I'm just it. saying, I'll man. Whenever he fight, what ha- did he fight? Rafael dos Anjos. I'm not looking yes, at my he computer. Did. Yes, right he now. did, Brandon. He lost that fight. All right. I mean, to me, the, there's signs, man. Like he's great. He's He's great against mid-tier competition, but once he gets against somebody that's really tough, it's – I don't know if the game plan just goes out the window and he just fights on instinct or what, but it just doesn't look right. And credit to Charles Oliveira, man. Like, he looks so good in this fight. Like, he came out starting with crane, flying crane kicks. Like, what? <laughs> he looked fantastic, and for a guy who's won his seventh in a row – you feel like uh, there should have been more hype. He wasn't even in the top 10 coming in. But, Brandon, I'm going to be honest with you. You look at that six in a row who he beat. I made the joke to you. A lot of Nick Lentz's in there. A lot, a lot of sort of those, you know, lower middle class guys in the in the, in the the thing. But what this is showing you at 30 years old is he's, he's figured it out. He's figured out how to use his striking to set up his elite level jujitsu and finishing ability. I mean, it's wild that this guy has the most submissions in UFC history and that he's closing in on the most finishes overall. But he was that feast or famine guy for a while who would either get a spectacular submission win or lose. And he's put that away. In fact, I was blown away last week when I looked at his Wikipedia page. I'm like, oh my God, six in a row? I would have given you money to say that he's probably won two, lost two, won one, lost one the last seven fights. Uh, he looks like he has the swagger. I think that's the difference, Brandon. The full evolution for him. He has the swagger and the confidence, not only to pull off a crappy haircut, but to, to go in there and fight so aggressively. I mean, his wrestling was good. I mean, he was close to many submissions, finally tapping out Kevin Lee. Yeah, there was sort of the bizarre, uh, did Stipe tap? Alistair felt it. Why are, Why is this happening? This is weird. Why is Mel- Beltran's... Uh, weird ponytails tucked into his shirt so nobody catches crime. A lot of weirdness going on there, but Charles Oliveira, holy crap, gotta take him seriously. I need him to of course go to that next level of hell. When you climb that lightweight ladder, every step up is going to be even deeper, but he's an interesting out. We have a lot of bangers at lightweight. Got a lot of wrestlers and bangers. Do we have a lot of guys just like him? No, no, Brando. He's gonna be an interesting out when he steps up to the ally Quinta levels as he keeps climbing the ladder he's been at lightweight since 2010 you know he's been he's been in the UFC since 2010 and to me like that's 
that's the crazier thing is that now he's finally put it together. Like he's finally put together the run. Like you mentioned, he figured out the swagger. He had the platinum slash lilac hair and the rest of his team did too. It was just an odd situation. Odd indeed. Uh, we do have to take him seriously. Big win for him. Uh, wow. Co-main event, Brandon, 42-year-old Damian Maya. Uh, we thought this could be like the passing of the torch from the all-time great Brazilian Jujuts legend, giving it to a prime Gilbert Burns at 33 on a winning streak. Yet Gilbert Burns effed around and showed us a well-rounded game and finished him with a sick short left hook that turned the chin. He celebrated too early, but then he Donkey Kong the crap out of him to get him out of there. Brandon, I'm not as sold on, let's say, Gilbert Burns' title hopes as I am, maybe even on Charles Oliveira in a deeper lightweight division. But this was a wake-up call to a guy like me that, okay, we got to focus on this guy. Like, I need him to beat a Stephen Thompson maybe before I'm going to go to that next level. But uh, he's figuring it out as well. You, you impressed? You feeling it? Yes. Yeah, I I think Gilbert's got a real chance here to to become not a – I don't think he's a title-level fighter, but a dude who's – fought hasn't he fought like – four times in the last eight months or something like he's on a ridiculous run of just taking short notice fights and just dominating. And this wasn't a short notice fight. This was a full prep, full camp for Damian Maya, who, like you said, just legend in UFC and in, in Jiu-Jitsu, as you said, um, this was, this was a domination. I didn't think Damian looked at all right. I, I didn't, I didn't understand the matchmaking to be honest with you, putting a 42 year old, a wrestler, a grappler in there with somebody who's shown you knockout power. Um, I think Gilbert's got a real chance. And I know Rashad would be very happy to tell us about how, how much he's learned from Henry Hooft and H kickboxing at hard knocks three, six, five, because I think even Gilbert put out the video of him practicing that punch right before <clears throat> the, the fight. And he landed it perfectly. Like he was landing it backstage. So he's got a chance the flip side of this is I really hope this is not the last time we just saw Damian Maya fight because that's a really sad way to go out as a legend. And that dude won three fights in a row and I think gave him a little false bravado about continuing to fight. And because I thought he should have hung him up a while ago. Well, he said he's got one more, Brandon, and he wants either Diego Sanchez or Donald Cerrone. And if it's Cerrone, he says he wants like a full camp. He's ready to fight D Diego Sanchez basically tomorrow. But if it's Cerrone, he wants to really prep for it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of done with the Diego Sanchez business. So uh, if it's Cerrone, that's that's a hell of a fight. Of course, that's a hell of a fight. If they did that in Brazil as a, as a send off goodbye. Love it. Love it, Brand. Hopefully it's for both of them. All right. Speaking of uh, Brazil and clowns, uh, Brandon, your boy. You're going to have to take the L here. Your boy, Johnny Walker, uh, allowed Nikita Krylov to go the distance for the first time in his career <laughs> and got solved once again. Second straight defeat. This was a unanimous decision. Um, so here's the question to you, Brandon. Because, look, I, I give this guy a lot of ish, but you're, you're yawning. You all right? You getting enough sleep in your life? I'm letting you, I'm letting you talk, man. All right. Leave me alone. All right. Just wake, wake up, okay? Wake up, please. His chin is deteriorating. That's your chin, Brandon. Um, I was going to say, Johnny Walker's chin didn't deteriorate. Johnny Walker's fantastic. He's unpredictable. There's a lot there that can be worked with. But is he closer to becoming just an attraction, just a, a carnival fighter, than he is a legitimate guy? And every time he steps up against a solid wrestler, is this going to be the outcome? What do we do here? I mean, he already switched camps. He went to Faraz Sahabi. 
He didn't do anything with any advantages he had in this fight, Brandon. And it was disappointing to see. Is it is it the, the lack of a crowd? Is it the whole situation? I don't know. This is a weird card. A lot of weird things happen. But um, speak on your boy because uh, unless he catches somebody with some spinny-ish early, you, there's a blueprint now of how you expose this man. Yeah. Um, I will still say that even in a three-round grueling fight where he had he looked pretty much done once he got taken down to the ground, he still did land something that I've never seen before. <laughs> and that was still just like, dude, this guy's dynamic as hell. It, it's, it shows every time he's in, on the screen, but at the same time, it's just like, what are we doing here sometimes? You know, like, he lands a jump knee, and while in the air, lands a jab. Like, how is that possible? Like, that should not be physically possible for a human being to do. And yet, it doesn't phase Krylov. Krylov just continues to push forward. Like you said, put the puzzle together and, and figured out how to stop him. And it was ugly there for a while. Like, those second and third rounds, Johnny was just so out of gas. Like, that was just so evident. And it, it shows that he hadn't been in a fight that <laughs> he hadn't been in the UFC, in a UFC octagon for more than five minutes before that fight. Wow. And it showed. It's, it shows. It shows how crazy this sport is because when he had been doing those one-minute finishes on people with spectacular strikes, we had that conversation. Like, it, it, does he not know that you're not supposed to be this wild and successful that maybe we should throw him in there with John Jones? Like, we were close to that, Brandon. If he had beaten Corey Anderson, he probably gets him. And now we're like, holy crap, two straight humbling losses. Uh, maybe you should go back to the drawing board. Maybe we should really take some low-level fights for a while to figure this ish out. It's going to be interesting. Well, he was, I mean, that's the thing though, right? Like I've seen other people talking about this on Twitter is like, he is so clearly got lucky and in, it's hard to say lucky in UFC when you knock somebody unconscious, but to sit, like, it was so random. Those first three knockouts or two knockouts in the UFC that it's almost like we pushed him way too fast because of randomness, you know? And once he got against higher competition, it showed. Like Kevin Lee, same thing with Kevin Lee. Like Johnny is so clearly not ready for the limelight and for the 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 big name fights. Like, could you imagine what the John Jones fight would have looked like? Yikes. Like John Jones would have destroyed him. Yikes! 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 And we were thinking, we we thought at one point Johnny Walker might have been a better fight than Dom Reyes for for John Jones. No, no. So yeah, <clears throat> uh, other other. Other uh, undercard observations here, Brandon. I'm re-energized as a men's flyweight fan. Brandon Moreno takes a decision from Jose Formiga. We're we seeing a future title contender emerge. Yes or no? True or false? I mean, he was just there, right? Wasn't he like number two in the in the UFC rankings before this fight? And yeah. and he had just lost to Evans and Figueredo. So, I I mean, I guess make that fight again. Once we get the Joe Benavidez Figueredo rematch, Benavidez is going to win the rematch, Brandon. Okay. I just believe didn't it. Mar happened. Wait, didn't Moreno win that fight? What am I talking about? Maybe you should do a little bit more research, Brandon, before you talk <laughs> to me on this stuff, all right? I'm pretty sure Moreno won the fight this weekend. Brandon Moreno did win the fight. I said that. I said, is he I ready? I thought you said, 
I thought you said Formiga. I'm sorry. He wow. beat Formiga by unanimous decision, Brandon. He's won. He's 3-0-1 in his last four. The only one was that draw with Askar Askarov that was a war. It was absolutely incredible. Yeah. He had lost two in a row before that to Sergio Pettis and Alexandre Pantoja. But yes, the, these four fights in a row are showing you that I'd like to see him against the winner of Figueredo Benavidez, too. Hey, by the way. UFC's been putting out these, like, sort of post-fight, you know, like, inside looks at things. Did you see the postscript from the uh, from that flyweight title bout at UFC Norfolk in which they showed, like, the heartbreaking journey that the Benavidezes went through? I have to say this, Brandon. It was raw and real. I'll give credit to Megan O'Leavy for UFC announcer, also the wife of Joseph Benavidez, for allowing that to be shown. Did you watch that? Because she had, I mean... They showed the agony of defeat. They showed Joseph Benavidez breaking down backstage and basically, like, you know, thinking of himself as a failure and her, like, over, with her arm around the shoulder being like, you're still, you know, you're still everything to me. Like, it was some intimate, personal stuff going there. I mean, she was a very supportive wife. And, um, you know, I don't know if most men would have allowed that to be seen, that vulnerability in that couple publicly. And I give them credit for showing that, Brandon. Yeah, that was good. real. That was some real ish. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. I think it's on ESPN Plus or whatever. But uh, that was some real ish that they showed there in that marriage, Brandon. OK, I give those two people credit and I give him credit from for pulling that off. I mean, they're both public figures at this point, so I'm not really that surprised that they showed it. Um, but I'm glad that they did. That's that's what people need to feel like right now. Like you, you need to feel like you have support in your life and that you're not just by yourself and a failure. Uh, Brandon, I'm supporting you. I'm here for you. Okay, whatever you, you need. All right, we're Thank in the you. same state. I'll wave to Can you. Can you give me some beer? <laughs> what is happening you... now? Do you hear that? Are you okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I had a, I had a YouTube uh, link open with uh, some oh three. God. I was listening Come to three eleven. It was three eleven day the other day, so I was the the music you... just started playing. You a big three eleven fan, Brandon? They used can, to. Can you can you be professional, please, as I as I continue to misread <sighs> the information that you're giving me? <sighs> All right. Um, we don't know the future. We did a lot of speculation earlier on what's to come. Will there be a card this weekend? Who the heck knows? By the time this podcast hits the airwaves, we could have heard a decision. For all we know, Brandon, by the time this podcast hits the airwaves, we could be on, like, interstate government lockdown. So who knows about the future? You've heard my little rant on Tony Habib. Only do it if you can really do it. But, Brandon, we're going to be back on the other side with some uh, some fun talks and movie talk. But now it's interview time. What's, what's that weird look about it? Explain yourself, all right? Don't give I me thought that. we were doing another commercial break. I was like, I didn't know we got that kind of no, ad money now. We don't have now. that kind of ad selling right now. But uh, we do have Rich <laughs> Ting, the actor of the mixed martial arts. I'm sorry, the martial arts expert. Big fan of UFC. Got a lot of irons in the fire right now in his acting career. Former Ivy League football player at Yale. So take that, Brandon. It's actor Rich Ting stopping by the pod. Coming your way right now. Enjoy. <laughs> Pleased to welcome in a rising star on screens big and small. You may know him from the Cinemax series Warrior, written and inspired by Bruce Lee. And you're going to see him guest starring. It airs this evening as we record the debut episode of Tommy on CBS with Edie Falco. It is Rich Ting. Rich, great to get a little bit of shine from Hollywood on the CBS Sports MMA podcast. How you doing, man? <laughs> awesome man thanks for having me 
Uh, if you know people that haven't followed your work, you've got a background in martial arts. You've been in so many cool projects that a lot of people know about. But uh, are you a big fan of what we got going on these days in the UFC right now? Oh, totally. You know, I, I um, being a martial artist and just kind of being in that world. You know, since I started around that when I was at the age of four. So you know, just being cognizant about you know people like Bruce Lee. And, and, you know, other iconic figures throughout Hollywood, as well as, you know, the whole evolution of the mar of the mixed martial arts, you know, from back in the day, I remember I used to go with my dad to like, you know, full contact kickboxing matches, you know, to finally cage matches to finally what we have now in the octagon, like the evolution of MMA has been um, nothing short of remarkable. And obviously, it's so cool to see its popularity growing throughout the globe every year. And, you know, now we got Bellator, we got UFC, we got all these cool things going on. So, I mean, it's just, um, I've just been fortunate because I have just organically have followed the whole evolution of mixed martial arts just through my own uh, participation within the sport. That's cool. And you and I are about the same age. So we came into UFC in our lives, you know, in the 90s, in those high school years, right about there when it was wild, raw, and unpredictable. You talk about the, the growth uh, do you still like me sometimes marvel and go back and, and throw on UFC 1 on the uh, on YouTube or on uh, UFC Fight Pass and just relive the barbaric early days? I mean, I don't know if the young fans can really fully relate to what it was like. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring that up because, you know, I think as the sport has progressed, so has the technical part of it, you know, for the, obviously the participants, you know, in other words, you know, when I, when I first remember watching those early USC fights, you know, they were so like backyard brawling kind of style, you know, and just coming from such, you know, a variety of really strict disciplines in my upbringing, as far as martial arts is concerned, I, I just kind of looked at the UFC in the beginning as just kind of like an all out brawl, you know, no disrespect to the athletes that were doing it, because obviously you got to, you got to have a certain amount of toughness and craziness at the same time to get in that, to get in that octagon. But at the same time, you know, I was kind of just like thrown off by the lack of, of technicality. You know, now you move forward in, you know, 2019, 2020, and you just see how strategic, how technically sound, how, how it's a chess match, you know what I mean? And, you know, whether, you know, and I think it's cool because now the audience and the, and the general public understand that when, you know, when you get taken to the ground, as ignorant as that may sound, that doesn't mean you're losing. You know, I just remember back in the day, people were like, oh, what are they doing on the ground? <laughs> and I'm like, they're burning each other out right now. Like, have you ever been held on the ground with a, with a man that's your size, that's just laying on you, but has, has you, you know, has side control or whatever? You know, people didn't really know what that was back in the day. You know, so now, you know, it, it, it's cool to go back to reflect on that. Um, but I'm more excited just where, where the sport has gone, you know, Indeed. in 2020. How has your training evolved? I believe you started, correct me if I'm wrong, in Taekwondo, but as mixed martial arts came together and you're fusing all these different styles into really now what is the MMA style. I mean, it's really one combined sort of thing. Have, have you evolved with that in terms of your, your personal life and the, and the type of training that you do? Oh, totally. You know, and I think it's so it's so weird and, and, and fascinating at the same time, you know, that my kind of training in my own personal life has kind of paralleled the evolution of the mainstream of the UFC and the MMA world. Um, to give you an example, you're correct. You know, I, my my foundation is in Taekwondo and I started when I was four years old and gradually through 
through just learning the Taekwondo style, you know, I ventured into jujitsu. I ventured into mixed martial arts. I ventured into um, Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do uh, when I got into high school, just because ironically, I had a, uh, a, a personal contact with the San Francisco police department who they would train on their crash unit, which was their kind of gang task force. And they would have training sessions with, you know, all the cops on weekends in San Francisco. And um, through a contact, I was able to get involved with that. And, and they welcomed me with open arms just because of my size and my realistic um, just overall energy and the fact that I would be someone that they would encounter, you know, you know, on a day-to-day patrol, so to speak. So, and with that, you know, you, you know, when you're a cop or you're, you know, you're doing it to survive in the streets, let's say, you know, you're not going to take a traditional Taekwondo approach, you know, it's going to be more unorthodox. It's going to be more on, you know, how do we get this guy to the ground? How do we disarm a knife? How do we disarm a gun? You know, how do we block this? How do we shed that? And so that's kind of where my training started to expand just naturally. Um, and I really got into it and I really fell in love with the whole MMA aspect of martial arts in that, in that, in that arena, let's say. And then, you know, I, I played Division One football in college, so that kept me physically in tune and, and my strength was good. And uh, the, the Olympic lifting and the heavy squats kind of took away from my flexibility for a second, but I quickly got that back once <laughs> I finished uh, playing football. And, you know, I just kind of kept it up. And ironically, you know, I never thought I would enter into the whole Hollywood entertainment business. You know, that was always like a dream to me. And I was on a different course professionally at the time. And so, you know, with my kind of extracurricular training in martial arts and my continued, you know, discipline of that throughout my, you know, my twenties, it just kind of naturally gave me these tools that when I did get involved with the entertainment business and directors and producers understood and, and identified that I had this background, you know, that's when I was able to bring it to the forefront and, you know, and it was just cool because, you know, I think everyone is used to seeing those old school, you know, fighting scenes where, you know, you know, this dude throws a stance and the other dude throws a stance and there's a kind of like a demonstration of what I can do and what he can do. And then we engage. Right. Well, it it was, I entered, I entered the game. I think when that was definitely going away and it was more like, okay, what's going to be realistic, you know? And I think that's when ironically, like the whole, you know, Jason Bourne, uh, whole epic series had started and you know obviously steven seagal people weren't too familiar with his style you know and they just thought he was just kind of slapping people around (laughs) you know but you know but technicians like myself and i think other people in the game that really knew what was going on with those close encounters was like hey there's they're taking martial arts to a next to the next level on screen now you know so you know now when we get to you know projects and, and new and new features and whatnot you know, that I have to involve myself in, you know, it's not necessarily one style, you know, um, I just wrapped, um, FX's new show with Jeff Bridges and, uh, it's, it's coming out later this, uh, fall of 2020, hopefully. And, you know, we do a huge action sequence, just me and Jeff Bridges, you know, and it's all jujitsu. It's all mixed martial arts. It's all, it's ground game. It's, it's stand-up game. It's everything. It's weapon disarms. And, you know, just to kind of get on a set with a 70-year-old Golden Globe Oscar winner, you know, who, who, wants, to, who wants to take you to the ground like that. I mean, I just think that, that's evident in itself of, you know, the evolution of martial arts, not only in real life, but also in Hollywood. Yeah, no doubt. And to see you have those 
skills before you got into acting in your personal life and 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 now you're able to use them in in a great way it's almost like sort of subconsciously cross training for where your life became without realizing it no totally and you, i mean that that's exactly the, the the phrase i use is this whole cross training aspect you know and you know i think one huge distinction i i need to make clear is that i'm grateful to have the foundation and the training you know but once you translate that real life technical game, let's say onto camera, it's completely different. You know, I've seen, I've seen guys that have won, you know, have been on the circuit and have won, you know, competitions, you know, in the ring, you know, uh, full, full contact fighting. And as far as, and and as well as demonstration wise, but then those guys can't necessarily translate what they know onto the camera. Cause in a weird way, when you fight on camera with another actor or another stunt person, you know, it's a different style of fighting, even though it may look very similar to the real life stuff. You know, sometimes you have to break certain technical rules, you know, just so that it sells on camera. You know, people, you know, we've always been taught to punch straight and never to come, you know, wide and, and, wind, and wind up, so to speak. You know, but sometimes on camera, if you do do a technically sound punch, that's not going to read as a hit just because of the camera and That's the angles and all this weird stuff that comes into play. So you kind of have to relearn some stuff once you get in front of the camera. I'm like, okay, so technically this is how I would do it in real life. But in order to sell this punch and to show the impact of this punch or kick or whatever you're going to do, you kind of have to tweak it a little bit. So that's why I always say it's like, it, 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 I'm grateful to have the foundation before I entered Hollywood. But now once I did, you know, thanks to a ton of great stunt choreographers and coordinators, you know, I just I think I just paid attention really early on in my career to the fine details of what sells and what doesn't sell on camera. So but, you know, all in all, definitely, um, I think definitely meant to be as far as what I'm doing now, just because, you know, I I, I didn't plan this when I was four years old. You know what I mean? So it, it's been very uh, exciting. To life see is it all incredible. Together. Yeah. The, t- the twists and turns of life always seem to make sense somehow in the end. Uh, you got to tell us more about this Cinemax series, Warrior. If people haven't seen this, uh, such a cool series said, I believe, in San Francisco. You created and written by Bruce Lee, so you're gonna have to fill in the blanks for me. Was this an old project that was put on the shelf, and how did you get involved in that? Yeah, well, first, thank you for all the praise, man. I mean, um, yeah, everything you said is completely accurate. Um, definitely humbled and blessed to have even been a part of season one, which aired last April. Uh, side note: we got season two coming out this spring. Excellent. Bolo is HBO back. Max. Rich Bolo so please, is back uh, for more. Yeah. So- yeah, so hopefully everyone can tune in. If everyone missed season one, you know, definitely tune into season two. Um, but yeah, so the history behind Warrior was that the original treatment uh, was written by Bruce Lee, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s, prior to his um, unfortunate death. And what had happened was um, he had submitted it, I believe, to a bunch of studios in Hollywood at the time. But, you know, just given the era in which he was alive, uh, you know, Hollywood just wasn't ready for an Asian American lead, let alone a male lead of any show at that time. You know, he was playing the sidekick on the Green Hornet. Yeah, he did, you know, Enter the Dragon and all those great epic movies, you know, but nothing, nothing mainstream U.S., let's say, you know, at the time. So the the studios rejected it. And ironically, you know, the treatment originally was a cowboy Western um 
treatment with a martial arts underlying concept. Um, this is very controversial because then suddenly the whole show of Kung Fu with David Carradine emerges at right. the same time that he, that Bruce submitted his treatment. So there's a little controversy as far as, you know, was that the same script? Was it the same treatment? But, you know, it is what it is. And we move on to, you know, 2000 and I think it was 2017. Um, prior to 2017, Shannon Lee, his surviving daughter, um, had kept all of Bruce's journals and treatments. And, you know, he's written a ton of stuff that just hasn't been exposed yet, even in 2020. And uh, Justin Lin who we all know from the Fast and Furious uh, films, as well as uh, Star Trek um, and a bunch of other great things he's done, contacted Shannon Lee and basically asked her if this treatment was real because she had heard about this about this piece that Bruce had written called Warrior. Oh, that is so cool. And um, she confirmed it. She confirmed she had it. Yeah, and she brought it to him. So long, long story short, Justin Lin contacted HBO. HBO, who you know, is the, um, is the umbrella company of Cinemax, then reached out to Jonathan Tropper, who was the showrunner and creator of a show called Banshee on Cinemax, who is also a martial artist and has a great martial arts background and is a huge fan of Bruce. So basically what you had is you had Justin Lin with Shannon Lee with Jonathan Tropper, and they were able to create the screenplay for the TV series Warrior Season 1. Um, to make it even more amazing and fantastic for me is they include, you know, at the time Bruce wrote it, he was working with a lot of famous Hong Kong actors and Chinese martial artists. And so he incorporated a lot of people that he had worked with, you know, throughout his various films before he passed away. You know, and one of those guys was Bolo Young, who we all know from Enter the Dragon and from Bloodsport. Bloodsport he yes. played Chung Lee yeah. in Bloodsport against Jean-Claude Van Damme. So, when my team got the call that they were very interested in having me come in to read for the character of Bolo in which they, they kept his real name in the warrior treatment. I, I kind of laughed because this dude has been following me around symbolically since I was a kid. Like people used to always call me Bolo when I was younger because I was always the only Asian kid and they're predominantly African-American or Caucasian environment. And I was always bigger than the other kids. So I always was called Bolo when, you know, as a joke, you know, and then I got to college and then my, my football teammates referred to me as Chung Lee just because it was parallel to the whole blood sport, you know, renaissance that came back out, you know, when those um, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies resurfaced. So I, I just laughed. They wanted to see me read for Bolo. Uh, longer story short, we booked it and we did season one. And yeah, you're right. Again, it is an 1880s period piece. Um, in San Francisco, um, it touches on all demographics, pol politics, economics, social, uh, socioeconomic um, layers of what was going on in San Francisco in the late 19th century. You know, and then there's this whole underlying element of the evolution and creation of the Chinatown gangs, formerly known as the Tongs. You know, and, and any history buffs out there know that there was a huge period of time where there was all these Tong wars in Chinatown in San Francisco. Uh, before the earthquake that kind of destroyed everything, you know, in the early 1900s. So 
um, the show's you know, got Bruce's an edge. treatment, it touches on all these crazy things, dude. And it's just, it was just, it's just epic, you know? I yeah. Mean, that's just what the, I always say. It's epic. You get the edge when you watch that show that the trash talk is, is, is so hip and cool and, and, and sort of just grabs you in that, in that real sort of masculine way. And uh, you play Bolo, which we mentioned, a former railroad ro- worker turned underground fighter. Did you get a chance to meet the, the legend Bolo Young and, and sort of, you know, talk, talk this over a cup of coffee and be like, bro. I'm playing you now. This is a dream come true. <laughs> um, you know what? I get asked that question a lot. And ironically, I have never met the man. Like, I know I know his family is in L.A. where I am. And, you know, p- people on my team has crossed, has crossed paths with people on, you know, in his family. But we've never sat down like that. And I'm still waiting for that opportunity. So, you know, for me, just being a fan of Bolo since I was a kid, you know, a lot of that was already ingrained in me, so to speak. So, you know, one thing that Justin Lin and Shannon Lee and Jonathan Troffer all mentioned to me ahead of time before we began filming was, look, we don't want you to replicate Bolo, okay? But if you want to attribute anything to him, feel free to do that. But there's no pressure to basically reproduce what he was or who he is. Um, and so creatively, that gave me a lot of freedom. But at the same time, you know, whether it's a sound or a stance or, you know, a, a, a reaction to getting hit or something, you know, I, I definitely tried to bring that to the screen, you know, in order to honor Bolo, you know, more importantly, just to honor him as a full life human being, you know, because ironically, everyone knows Bolo in one color, which is he's the intimidating, powerful, he'll snap you over his knee and break your back in half. <laughs> and, and he has minimal lines. You know, so one thing I wanted to do with him in order to honor the real Bolo was to give him more dialogue, to give him more emotion, to show his vulnerability, to basically convey, hey, this dude is a real person, okay? He has a full life, and everyone thinks he's intimidating and powerful, which he is, but maybe he doesn't even want to fight people. Maybe he just happened to be born this massive dude, and because of his size, he was forced into a situation that he doesn't really want any part of. So, you know, things like that, it creates creativity as an artist is, is kind of the process I go through. And that's what I really wanted to bring to the screen was that, you know, this is a real person. And then what an honor it was to that's play. Great. And when you meet him, you got to have a camera present to document it. And, and I could see. Oh, no, 100 percent, dude. And I could see 100%. the pressures of <laughs> that, li- that, that, that photo's going to go viral. Okay? <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> I, uh, Rich, I could I could see the pressures of trying to live up to him because the guy's got the most impressive set of pecs we've ever seen on camera. So it, it's a it's a tough it's a tough out trying to live up to those. Man, I, I can't tell you how much bench and, and, and cable flies and <laughs> and dips and everything I, I was doing prior to prior to prior to going shirtless on camera. So, you know, the one unfortunate thing I would say about that is there is a there is a scene where I am shirtless. It's a flashback scene and and on the original day I must have flexed my pecs on purpose <laughs> about a hundred times. Okay. So that I would make sure that at least one of those tech flexes would get into the final edit. And for some odd reason, none of them made it into the final edit. They took all the shots around those tech flex. And actually, that was my biggest disappointment <laughs> of season one, which wasn't a big deal to the overall story. But it was a big deal to me just because I wanted to honor him in that way. So that's kind of like a little bit of a, 
a behind-the-scenes joke oh, that's about great. Uh, tributing to Bolo. All right, I got to hit you with some quick hitters here. I can't keep you here all day, but uh, we're excited about the CBS show, Tommy, coming out. I've been seeing the commercials left and right. Big Survivor guy myself, so I'm seeing those commercials flying across the screen okay. all the time. You get to be on there with the great Edie Falco of Sopranos frame and, and, and so much more. Guest-starring role here, very unique character. Break down what fans can expect in, from you and the series. <laughs> okay, so you kind of set me up because we were talking all this, all this MMA stuff, all this warrior stuff, right? So you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm still an actor and I'm still an artist, right? And I have to train for multiple characters. Um, if I could make a career doing, a, doing, being a being a bolo character and everything, that would be awesome. But re unfortunately, reality means I gotta be able to uh, expand my my character arc to other characters, so to speak, right? So. One thing that's very, very great and rewarding and something that our, that my team is, is really excited about with Tommy is that I get to show a completely other side of what a lot of my fans are used to me doing. You know, obviously there's not going to, I'm just going to give a spoiler. There's no martial arts involved with this episode. Um, and I, I play more of a softer guy. Um, you're going to see stuff that I train on, you know, and, and to me, not to give it away because, you know, if I say one sentence, it'll give the whole thing away. So I can't do that. Um, but what I can say is, you know, as actors, you know, we train on so many different levels, you know, creatively, artistically and emotionally, you know, and, and this this project, not only with Edie Falco and, you know, I'm opposite her in all my scenes, which was awesome. It, it, it was really one of those epic pinnacle moments in my career where, you know, all the training I've done behind the scenes, so to speak, I was really able to bring that to this episode. You know, um, I, I typically get cast for a lot of more stronger, more powerful, uh, dominating characters, let's say. And this one is definitely on the opposite side of that spectrum, which, again, is why my team is so excited about this episode for literally the world to see. Um, you get to see Rich King, you know, with on a softer side, you know, on a more of a vulnerable side. Um, I don't know if I'm going to really be that strong, powerful guy. I'm a strong character for sure, but um, there's going to be no blood. There's going to be no fighting. Um, there's going to be some tears. There's going to be some vulnerability, but there's going to be a lot of love, which I think is the main thing that I'm so proud of. And, and I hope everyone that tunes in tonight on CBS is, is We'll appreciate that and just enjoy it. You know, it's, it is primetime network television, you know, so you're not going to get, you're not going to get the, the same vibe as you would on the HBO Cinemax show. But at the same time, you know, it's with Edie Falco and her resume speaks for itself. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Every Thursday, 10 p.m. Eastern on CBS. It's called Tommy, about the first female police chief in Los Angeles. Looks like a very promising show. Of course, people have have seen you, if they if they don't know you, on the Amazon original, The Man in the High Castle. Is that still going on, Rich? Um, fortunately, I was able to be a part of the fourth and final season. Unfortunately, it has now ended, but it is available. It's streaming right now as we speak on Amazon Prime. Uh, four seasons in total. I'm in the fourth one. I'm the new uh, Japanese military officer that gets introduced to the family. And, um, yeah, for those of you guys that haven't checked it out, definitely click on Amazon Prime and go ahead and stream it. All right, you mentioned you played college football. I looked it up at Yale. Congratulations on that. Uh, I right away go, oh, one of my good buddies from my hometown was one of your coaches, the great KC Kevin Cretella. 
He gives his love, Rich. And he said, this guy, Rich Ting, <laughs> always in shape at Yale. And he says, for life, the two of you, wow. three wins over Harvard. It, no one can ever take it away from you. That's what he says. All right? Yes. That's all. I, that, yeah. Wow. I haven't heard that name in a while. Yeah. Tell Coach I said hello as well. Yeah. And that was, those are some great times. Uh, you mentioned three wins over Harvard. Uh, we could have been the first team in history to go 4-0. Unfortunately, we didn't. But uh, I guess 3-1 and one against your arch rival, you know, this little school in Boston isn't, isn't too bad Not either. Not bad. I mean, you, <laughs> you played with future NFL player Eric Johnson. I, I, I went to most of those. Uh, every Yale-Harvard yeah. game in New Haven I was at, being a Connecticut native myself. Rich, is it true that you worked at ESPN after college? That's why I worked for uh, 12 years to, to uh, start my career. Oh, well, yeah, that is true. Um, you know, I was fortunate upon my, you know, graduating from Yale. Um, you know, at the time, ESPN did not have their L.A. Live location, which ironically is down the street from me in downtown L.A. Um, and it was in Bristol. And as you know, as a native Connecticut person, that Bristol is very close to New Haven. So to me, I took a fifth year at Yale. I still lived in my same off-campus apartment, and I was hired as a production assistant at ESPN. Um, Worked on SportsCenter. I worked with Dan Patrick and Stuart Scott, which was awesome. I worked with Boom. I worked with Berman. Oh, that's awesome. I, know, I wrote scripts for um, the NCAA, MLB. I learned about golf. They put me on the PGA Tour. You know what I mean? Like it was That was awesome because I was getting paid to not only just do what I usually do, which is watch all these games and these sports, but I was able to create highlights and write scripts, you know, and, and at that time, just combining kind of my love for athletics and obviously football, um, as well as my, you know, interest in journalism, I, I actually thought at that point I was going to pursue a career in, 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 in sports journalism. Um, people like Dan Patrick, people like uh, Michael Kim, who, who used to work at ESPN, oh, yeah. you know, those guys are very influential on me. Uh, I remember when uh, Scott Van Pelt was hired, you know, obviously Kenny Maine was there. And so, you know, to me now to see these guys still doing their thing and going off and even doing more, it was is just so cool because, you know, they're all great people over there and, and it was such a great time. And like I said, man, what I'm doing now was meant to be because I tried not to be an actor, you know, I tried <laughs> to just be in front of the camera, but in a different way. And um, my time at ESPN was unforgettable. And, you know, as luck would have it, now there are other studio with me over and Stan are right down the street from my house in L.A. You know what I mean? That's awesome. So, but all in all, man, I got so much love for ESPN. Uh, I love what they do. Uh, I'm so grateful for them taking me in, you know, as a, as a first-year um, post-undergraduate, you know, college guy. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I got them on in the house right now. You know what I mean? They're always on. So. Don't forget to put on CBS Sports as well. Rich, I got to get you out of here on this, and I appreciate uh, you giving me for so sure. much time. Uh, we got this – UFC lightweight title fight. And I'm always talking, Rich, how right now this lightweight division is the deepest, most historic, most dangerous it's ever been. I mean, it's absurd. We hope it's going to take place April 18th. We don't know where with the coronavirus scare. Supposed to be in Brooklyn, but when Habib Nurmagomedov finally faces Tony Ferguson, I just interviewed both of these guys over the weekend in Las Vegas. Couldn't be more fired up for the fifth time. Who's going to win this, Rich? Wow. Wow. All right, so you know what? What's going to be finally cool is you're going to have two, like, jujitsu experts go at it. You know, it's going to go to the ground. We know that. You know, and, and, and the thing 
that I, you know, I'm not saying I'm necessarily a Khabib fan or a Ferguson fan, but what I, I will say is I've never seen Khabib fatigue. No. Okay. His wind and his endurance is out of this world. So, you know, you re- you rewatch every fight, you know, and unfortunately, and again, I'm not saying this to favor one or the other. I'm just saying I have seen Ferguson tired in the ring. I have seen him hit that wall, you know. I haven't seen Khabib hit that wall, you know, and that's where Khabib is annoying because it, he just needs that one second where you take that long exhale and he's on top, you know what I mean? And then it's done. So, you know, it, it's a cat and mouse game. Like I said, it's, it, it's chess. It's going to be a huge chess match. Um, we know it's going to get to the ground. And, oh, man, like I said, I'm not saying it's because I'm a fan, but <laughs> I, I think Khabib has an advantage, okay? Um, you're right. This lightweight division is, is, is just stacked, man. You know, and um, as much as I, I – first of all, it's respect across to every one of these guys who gets in that ring, oh, okay? Yeah. Whether you're Nate Diaz or you're Connor, you know, or, or you're Lyoto, like, respect across the board so I, I never feel right you know talking smack or trash about any of these guys because you know they you know they're they're the real deal okay i do it for faith you know in front of a camera so to speak so you know again i don't want them i don't want anyone to think i'm a khabib fan or i'm not a khabib fan but what i'm gonna say is i think khabib has the advantage over ferguson i can't wait to see it um if ferguson doesn't hit a wall and he doesn't gas out, then it's going to be it's going to be a phenomenal yeah, fight. Might be and I'm only... jealous you were able to speak to both of these yes. guys. That's awesome. <laughs> Tony might be the only guy crazy enough to, to to stand with him and get in there and get on the ground and maybe have success. We'll see. It'll be wild. I hope you saw that Weili Zhang, Yuan Young, Jacek women's title fight from UFC 248 last weekend, Rich. Probably the one of the best fights you'll ever see in your lifetime. Savage, but still high skill at the same time. What an event. Did you check that out? Yeah, I mean, can't say enough. Um, it was hard to watch towards the end just because, uh, you know, my whole family's in medicine and I don't have a stomach for certain things, let's say. And when I saw Joanna's head blow up like oh, that, it, it got it got a little weird for me at home, I'll say. I watched it at home. It was uncomfortable. But, man, those two are – you talk about warriors, man. Those two are warriors. And, you know, I just like I, you know, it's like, it's like with anything, with boxing, with UFC, with belts, or with anything. If you're the champion, then you got to get destroyed. I feel by the by the contender, you know, and and if you don't, it's gonna go, it's gonna go to the to the you know to the champion at hand. And and I just felt that you know Wei Li, she was just more of the aggressive. Like her energy was always going forward. You know what I mean? And and I feel like Joanna. Yeah, we know she has that Muay Thai background, so she's gonna be more upright and on her toes, so to speak. But I just felt like every time she, she, she struck or kicked or whatever, she was going a step back right after. You know, where Wei Li, she'd get, she get clocked, man. She got kicked. She got hit a bunch of times. But her momentum kept her going, you know, and I think that energy really got to, really got to Joanna. And, yeah. um, but, I mean, what a fight. Dude. Oh like, you know, God. I mean, their faces said it all at the end. And it, was, it, mean, was, it was hard to watch and listen to that post-fight interview. It was but like man, the movies. to them as well. Yeah, the savagery was like the movie. Shout out to them. Shout out to you, Rich Ching. We're going to check out season two of Warriors on Cinemax. And don't forget, Tommy debuts on CBS. It's going to be every Thursday, 10 p.m. Eastern. Look for Rich as Lee Chang. Rich, a pleasure to talk to you. Best of luck moving forward. I hope you can get a maybe some uh, you know an MMA role one of these days. What do you think? Maybe maybe cash in on that. 
Oh, man. I don't want to typecast you here. but I'm training every day for it, brother. All right. I'm training every day, and I'm stretching every day, so I'm ready. Great chat with you. Take care. All right, special thanks to Rich Ting for dropping by. Brandon, a modern-day renaissance man. He speaks five languages. That's awesome. I I wish I could speak two. Yeah, I do remind everybody to check out the new CBS vehicle, Tommy, with Edie Falco every Thursday, 10 p.m. Eastern, and Rich Ting's guest spot last Thursday. But, Brandon, I need you to uh, check out his work on Cinemax's Warrior. Heck of a project right there. And uh, did you know he played in 2013's Lone Survivor with Mark Wahlberg? You ever see that movie? I did not see that movie. Um, I've heard good things about it. Me too. I'm adding it to my war playlist, Brandon. In the last week, maybe it probably wasn't a good idea that I'm staying up late every single night and watching one more movie after another it was Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, Saving Private Ryan. I got a couple other. I got all three of the first Rambos. I got to get back into that, even though those aren't real like war movies. They're like 80s action movies, basically. Although, no, no, I'll give, I'll give credit. First Blood, the first one, it's a legitimate movie. It's not a it's not like a like the sequels, right? The sequels are just action movies. I didn't realize until I looked it up because I saw a picture of Sylvester Stallone at a grocery store with gloves on. Yes. How old would you guess that Sylvester was before seeing that photo? Well, he, he still looks like he's 50 in, in juiced on HGH, which is probably why he looks like he's 50. But, I mean, like he's got to be late 60s, early 70s at this point. 73. Damn. <laughs> Do you remember? So like, he's definitely in this demographic that's at risk here. You remember like five years ago when he got arrested in Australia at an airport with, with like 5,000 pounds of HGH, like an obscene amount? It was, a, it was an entire briefcase of vials with HGH and steroids in it. I mean, look, that guy was insanely ripped in the 80s for Rocky, Cobra, Rambo, for all those. I mean, like ripped down to the like as in shape as any human could be, Brandon, so you'd have to assume as he got into his 40s, 50s, 60s, that he's on straight elite juice constantly. Like, I'm talking about the uh, the um, Lorenzo Fertitta kind. Yeah, that guy. I I mean, at least Arnold's, like, come down off of that stuff and yes. realize, like, maybe I should try to get my heart in a better spot. Well, there's, well, okay, the heart thing is for real, but there's some people who believe, Brandon, that this is just the beginning, meaning that, in the future, all of us will take HGH the rest of our lives, and it will keep us younger and alive longer. I don't know, Brandon. Right? You need to get off of these Reddit pages before you fall down these rabbit holes. Everybody's on steroids. The whole UFC, everybody. You're on steroids. Yeah, Brandon, you, you, okay? You used to be on steroids when you were training for our fight. That's why I pulled out. People are wondering, BC, why'd you jack? Because Brandon, I didn't trust his bloodstream, all right? Uh, Brandon... Look, it's it, you know we can recommend things for people to kill time shows. Go back on UFC. I go up back on UFC Fight Pass a lot, by the way, and just have a good time watching old fights. Watch you know picking one fighter and watching three, four, five fights in a row during their journey. Um, you've been hitting the movies, and I forced you. I made you. I threatened you to watch the 2019 cinematic classic, known as Uncut Gems, which got robbed in the Oscar nominations. I'm ready. The people are ready, Brandon. Your review on this mastery of cinematography from them brothers, who, who, who a film ten years in the making that they that they pulled off, starring Kevin Garnett, Adam Sandler, and the bad guy from um, uh, 
What's the uh, skull? I, I know who you're. T- I know who you're talking about, but I don't know what his name is. Eric something. He's the bad guy. What's this Seagal remake of the? the there was a, the train ride. The uh, Under Siege Two, which is the last Seagal movie that's like legit before he went to complete um, shit and put everything on straight to DVD. Um, Under <laughs> Siege Two, the bad guy, the guy who was on the computer all the time. It's Eric. Uh, what's the guy? What's the guy's name? I got. Hold on, I'm pulling it up. It's. Uh... Eric Bogosian? Yeah, Bogosian. He's he's been a character actor for many years. He's fantastic in this movie as well as a lone shark as uh Adam Sandler's character's brother-in-law. Brandon, don't waste any more time. I mean, you've been ten, wasting the time. It's here. a 10 out of 10 from me. In fact, I, I got to talk to Rich Ting. He needs to get involved in the with these with these directors or right, to launch his career. Your thoughts on this marvel of cinematography and emotion? And emotion. <laughs> All right, Brandon, before I let you talk, okay? You're going to do the – God, you're the worst. Brandon, I have not felt the feels in a theater <laughs> like I have for this one. What this movie accomplished was making every scene – you're on, like, cringe, edge of your seat, your skin's popping. Like, it's just freaking intense, Brandon. Are you done? I'm done. Okay, so just so the audience knows, this is how Brian has described this movie to me for, like – three months and telling me that I need to go see it and that it's the greatest one. And it's in his top five that includes about 17 different stop movies that. in it. Stop that. It um, is a top five movie of all time, but stop that. Okay. But again, this is how you've described it to me. And honestly, it did not live up to those expectations. That's all I'm saying. I gave it like a six and a half or a seven out of 10. It was good. It was a fun movie. The plot twist at the end was great. It was not the greatest movie I've ever seen. It's right. not a top five movie of all time for me. I Kevin can... Garnett was terrible at acting. No, in this no, no, movie. no, 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 no. He was, he was, he was a surprise in that. He wasn't like a Ray Allen and he got game surprise, but he was a surprise in that. Brandon, he was terrible. I mean, like compared to real acting, he was terrible. But like for, right? He was as good Dude, acting go in that you movie. Ask me for my review of the movie, and then you're just gonna take my review and just. On it. He like, was as good as an actor in that movie as Shaquille O'Neal was as a rapper, which is decent praise. What? You know that Shaquille O'Neal was an actor too, right? Yeah, I've seen Kazam, Shazam. <laughs> um, so, Brandon, I'm going to let you talk in a second, but I'm a, I'm offended by your six and a half review out of ten because I could understand the idea. Don't turn your back on me, okay? I could understand the idea of like, hey, BC, you killed it for me. You made me believe it's, you know... Uh, Citizen Kane, and it wasn't... Look, that's happened to me. I've done that to people. I get it. But for you to watch that with fresh eyes and not be just moved by the creative nature of how it was filmed, how, like, they took... Every movie seems to have that one crazy, chill, intense scene. This is two hours of that. How they basically just took tiny little moments and, like, you know made them feel like you're living it like you're in like oh my god somebody do something it's two hours of that so for you to come out of that and it's like uh you know i mean it was good like you know what brandon f off all right f off i mean are we doing spoiler alerts like can i like talk about what happened in the movie and why i didn't like it warn people starting right now hey spoiler alert people if you haven't seen uncut gems this is where you want to pause the pod go rent it online or iTunes, however people find it, then come back to it in three, two, one. Spoiler time, Brando. <laughs> All right. 
I didn't understand the whole thing with the gem itself. Like I understood what it represented and that he was trying to make it sound like it was worth a million dollars when it wasn't actually worth more than like $120,000 or whatever it went for at auction. But like that as the vehicle for the entire movie to me, was just like, I get it, but it's just like, it's just an object. Like it's not moving me in any way. And then him getting thrown in the trunk of the car and stripped down and, and the brother-in-law being like, Tate, I need the underwear too. It was just like, this is just getting weird. Like, why wouldn't you just beat him up? Like why, why, whatever. Because he's family, anyway, because he's loosely family. And the guy's like, I got to teach this guy a lesson, but not kill him. Right. But then again, like I said, the end of the movie, the, the, how this movie ends with the the henchman or the bodyguard or whatever b- breaking rank and killing him and then killing the brother-in-law it was just like all right this doesn't i don't think this actually happens in this in a real life scenario like i don't think he would be that stupid <laughs> to do that <clears throat> well so, Brandon, what that my take here i didn't read this from some you know review or whatever but like my take is what that gem that the movie centered on what it represents, sorry for the burping there, uh, what it represents, Brandon, is the addiction that Adam Sandler's character. So Adam Sandler, I think, was absolutely brilliant. And you, it's kind of one of those character performances where you're like, wow, only he could have pulled that off. This man is so addicted to the high, to, to, to the thrill of danger, that he's constantly doubling down on, on, the, on the debts in his life and the and the you know, the consequences of his addiction, he's constantly doubling and tripling down. And that gem just sort of represents that one more thing. He's always willing to put his family at stake, his marriage at stake, his business at stake, his financial future, and ultimately his life at stake for the thrill of that one thing better. Like nothing's ever good enough to him. He gets the tip on Kevin Garnett and it's like, I got to put, I'm already in debt. People are already on their way to kill me. But I can fix all of this if this one thing comes through and then it comes through, Brandon, and it's still not enough. He's going one level higher. And it's just like what I loved about this movie the most is that there wasn't a traditional script or story flow. It's really just four days in the life of a crazy man who's in a lot of ish. And the 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 way it ended abruptly, like all that was all part of it. But um, I thought Sandler was brilliant in pulling off a man who's just addicted to the th- no thrills big enough Brandon whether it's his girlfriend whether it's what no thrill can satisfy this crazy man's lust for for something more but to me, it was like they're not they're not showing you like that he's getting a high off of it they're just showing you like his spin spiraling out of control like when he goes to the club and fights the rapper it was just like He's losing his mind. He's trying to get his his gems back from Kevin Garnett, but he's also like just absolutely spiraling out of control, and that's why he gets in a fight in the club. So I don't know. It was a good movie, man. It was entertaining. It it, it had its moments, but it wasn't the greatest film I've ever seen. I didn't think that was a really harsh take. I just think that how bizarrely it was filmed. You know, I mean, from the beginning of the film. You're obsessed with cinematography. I don't understand. You've never sounded like this before. But now, all of a sudden, because you've seen 1917, you know, you think you know cinematography. (laughs) Brandon, the way that they began the filming of it through the gem to the way that they ended it 
through the bullet hole in his face. And the whole time, as the camera's coming, you're like, no, they're not going to do this. They're not going to do this. They're not going to zoom in. They're not going to zoom in. And then they go into the damn bullet wound. Brandon, it's just brilliant. And I think that that scene was a... Um, was it was the whole movie encapsulated into one scene? Like there was so again, they're setting you up in this movie. Like oh my god, he's going to pay the price. These people are after him. So you're preparing yourself that there's going to be another uncomfortable chill scene, right? Another like crazy scene. On the way to that scene, he stumbles into some other ish, and you have as a viewer have to get through the scene that's only going to set up the next scene in which you're like oh my god, I can't take this pressure. I have not. Brandon, I don't feel that when I watch movies, right? I took a lot of years off caring about film, about the cinematography of it, about all that. That movie changed me. Also, Brandon, do you know what changed me? Me trying to fight off my travel slash Las Vegas depression and figuring out that films could do that. And what did I see in a row? Three all-time gems of uncut gems. All-time. 1917 and Parasite. Bang, 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 and I was just mind blown, Brandon, of what's possible. Um, I don't know. I don't know, bro. And, and all three, and all three are in your top five all time now, right? Um, yeah. All right. Tell me they're not. Tell me they're not. My okay. My my favorite movies of all time. Are you ready, Brandon? Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Give me top five. 1917. This is not in order. Uh, Rogue One. Um. Nerd. Uncut Gems, Goodwill Hunting, Rounders. That's five. <laughs> uh, Beautiful Girls, which is like old school 90s movie that I just love. Reminds me of my hometown. And Tommy Boy, I guess, you know, I'm big, you know, could I, you know, could I throw that in there? Because it's it's probably my favorite comedy that you can watch a billion times. I mean, that's right, so that's it. that's seven. And you also didn't include Parasite in there, which you said no, was no, no. Parasite's not in my top five, but I, I did, I did love that film. I think it's an all-time film, but I mean, okay, certainly. So, so two or three of you, no, three of your all-time movies have been made in the last two years. Yeah, this is what's bringing me back <laughs> to cinema. Okay, this is what's bringing me back. All right, it's bringing me back, and now I can't get enough. I, I, I by the way, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, it actually lived. It's everything. It's everything. I love that you had never seen Saving Private Ryan before. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen because I took a long time off. So I was a kid, Brandon, that went to – my dad's obsessed with movies. So I went to the theater like every week, and he was one of those dudes who had from – he still has it – from floor to ceiling just like DVD or VHS holders, right? Like every movie ever in our personal library. And then I just got, I got away from that ish for many years, Brandon, okay? But now I'm filling the holes. I'm filling the holes quickly. Dude, today, seriously, watch Knives Out. You will really like it. The, the trailer didn't hook me. You're telling me I, I can get past it? Do you like, I mean, do you like murder mystery stuff? It's possible. It's it's just interesting, the storytelling, as, you, as you're now getting into cinematography, as you, as you so delicately put it. And the cast is just ridiculous. It's um, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, uh, Donald, or not Donald Sutherland, Jamie Lee Curtis, um uh Don Johnson is in it. It's the cat the, the the whole cast is just insane. The dude who was in Uncut Gems, who is also in another show that I like uh, called Atlanta, with Keith Stanfield, he's like having a breakout moment. He's in that movie too. There there's just a lot of good acting to go around. All right. All right. I'm down with that. I'm down with it. A well, lot of recommendations. Next week to come. next week I'll hear your re- your review of this. All right. 
Uh, so uh, Knives Out, you want? That's my project this week. All right, I'll yeah. check it out. I'll it was four dollars on the uh, Amazon Fire I can afford that, Brandon. Until CBS Sports Digital shuts down, I can afford that. Uh, shout out. Are to we? Me. Yeah. So hold on. We can we have our like production meeting on air here? Are we going to do the project that we were talking about with our producer Mikey Mormile? Uh, where we have where we where we're going to watch a we're going to watch a fight and break it down next week. Um. Yeah, more on that to come. We we have to actually have these meetings, Brandon. Okay, we can't just like oh, you know, let's have, have it right now. Just have, you know, just we can't just have. Why, why don't we just have a marriage spat on here as well? Or why don't we put? Why don't we be <laughs> like mean, the? Uh, why don't we be like the Olivies and just put it all public? All right, Brandon. Uh, shout out to Rich. I mean, Ting we for, pretty publicly fight on here anyway. So shout out to Rich Ting for joining us. Shout out to our producer Mikey Mormile. Shout out to the listeners at State of Combat on Twitter. Uh, be strong. Be safe, people. Be smart. We can do this. We can get through this together, Brandon. Okay. So help out your they neighbor. Just, uh, just don't touch your neighbor, but help them out. All right. You they got just neighbors? shut down bars, gyms, and restaurants in Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey. Yeah, massage parlors as well, Brandon. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a needed development. Indeed. All right. Uh, shout out to Rashad Evans. Hopefully he's doing well. we'll we will get him back on in the near future. Uh, for the show, it's, it's your boy BC, all of us. Uh, we wish you well. Be safe. You'll be hearing from us soon. Two words for the people, Brandon. Yeah.